One of the Bible nerd comments you hear when you're uh, talking about John chapter 10 is that Jesus keeps on talking. And we have to remember that he's continuing a conversation from chapter 9. And we heard a sermon on this a few weeks ago. So Jesus keeps talking. Chapter 9 and chapter 10 aren't supposed to be separated. So let's remember who's still in the room as Jesus talks of thieves and bandits and good guys. It's the religious leaders. A couple of weeks ago, we called them the um, senior pastors and the um, serious. And if you kind of know this understanding, if you've still got your Bibles open, you know that we should just blot out that 10 heading at the heading of chapter 10. Because uh, verses and chapters weren't added to our Bibles probably until 1400 CE. So Jesus keeps on talking. And he's talking to the serious, but he's also done this great work for a man born blind. That fantastic story about the miracle, the doubt, the blunders, the blindness, the new sight, more blindness, but then more verbal harassment. And so with the Pharisees staring Jesus down in the wake of Jesus delivering that zinger, Jesus has looked them in the eye and he says to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains Dun, 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 dun. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? And then in his next breath, Jesus offers these words of assurance and consolation. But at the same time, he's still heaping some dissonance and uh, discontent upon these closed-hearted, mean religious leaders. I suspect that many of us have heard the voices or the wag, seen the wagging finger of mean religious leaders. I've had a few of those experiences in the past years of my life when I got wrapped on the knuckles or my theological imagination got hemmed in. People wanting to steal or thieve from us in the midst of what I think is us wanting to earnestly press into this life of following Jesus and trying to find out how can I see more? How can I learn more? I appreciated Marge's comments that she finds this community of faith being a place where we can wrestle, where we can press in. Because sometimes the hardest part of when we bump into those wagging fingers and voices is the shame and the distrust that they point in our direction. And so instead we pray that this place would be a place of welcome and kindness and generosity as we try to learn together, love together, and be shepherded. How have you been hurt or thieved or robbed of Christian dignity? The good news 
is that I'm not trying to bring up traumatic memories, but the good news is that Jesus is really good at naming the reality of the world we live in. In chapter 9, he's just healed a blind man, and immediately, rather than the man being celebrated or set free and rejoiced over, or as Jeremy was saying a few weeks ago, shouldn't he have been ushered to his first sunset, his first sunrise, a butterfly (laughs) flitting in front of his eyes? Instead, the first reaction is doubt, shame. Who do you think you are? And ultimately, he's cast out. And even his family is too scared to rescue him. And so in the midst of this calamity, in the midst of what feels like dark comedy even, the disappointment, the disillusionment, the good news is that Jesus keeps on talking to people like us who might be cowering and waiting for a new wave of courage. Jesus says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. (sighs) We've heard so many good phrases about the good shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his sheep by name. The shepherd leads them out. When he has brought them all out on his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Let's receive that and be blessed and encouraged by that this day. Now, the gospel writer drops an interesting commentary in the midst of uh, these verses. He says, Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Fair enough. Even we might look at these um, mixed metaphors that Jesus is offering us and go, oh, that's a bit strange. All the English majors in the room are going, is he as a gate? Is he a sheep? Is he the shepherd? Is he the gatekeeper? Come on, Jesus, what gives? But Jesus goes on, whoever enters by me will be saved, will come in and go out and find good pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So it's one more shot at the religious leaders and then these words of life and abundance. And even with these Pharisees still staring him down with their glare, we get to see the blind man. And so I'd encourage us as we live out of this story He's not the blind man, he's the seeing man. That's who we should stand alongside today. The seeing man who sees and believes that Jesus is Lord and he worships. The seeing man sees that that Jesus calls him, that Jesus speaks to him with that nurturing, compassionate voice. No fear, no judgment. Only consolation and companionship. The seeing man hears promises of safety, of being saved. He is assured that someone will be there to provide a place to dwell, a place for nurture, a place to be fed, 
a place where sheep will come in and go out and find good pasture. The good news for us is that the seeing man no longer has to walk in fear. No one will be able to steal or kill or destroy his story, his testimony, his healing journey. Jesus assures him and us of life and abundance. So what's life and abundance like for us as a community of faith these days? Because Jesus offers us daily bread, life in abundance. It might come in different modes and means, but it comes to us as a worshiping community. There's a they in that sentence, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And like so many promises that Jesus gives, it's not just to be received individually, it's to be, to be received as a community of faith. It's us together experiencing life abundance. So what might that look like or feel like or sound like today? Us receiving the daily bread of life and abundance? As I was reflecting on this this past week, I was thinking about Henry Nouwen's book, In the Name of Jesus, a book where he reflects on the life of the shepherd and feeding sheep. And he offers two words that I'd invite us to hold on to, affection and loving support. Affection and loving support. Jesus says, or Nowen says, we are not the healers. We are not the reconcilers. We are not the givers of life. We are sinful, vulnerable people who need as much care as anyone we care for. We are people who need as much care as anyone we care for. And so now it encourages us to these practices of affection and loving support. In a world where we're so tempted to steal or harm or destroy we are invited to work in this countercultural manner so that we might model and be empowered by Jesus' spirit, affection and loving support. So I want us to do a spiritual practice. I introduced this a few weeks ago. Um, breathing prayer. Sarah Bessie, who does breathing prayer, and in her prayer book offers quite a few breathing prayers. Um, But I thought a great one for today, and she's just written on her website, uh, 12 new breathing prayers. As we close our time, I want us to breathe in, and we'll breathe in a prayer that simply says, I am made in the image of God. I am made in the image of God, and we will breathe out, I behold myself and others with loving support, faithful care. I know that's a long phrase. I behold myself and others with loving support, faithful care. Breathe in, I am made in the image of God. 
breathe out, I behold myself and others with loving support, faithful care. This is how we receive from the Good Shepherd. And this is how we then seek to be a blessing to one another. Again, I breathe in, I am made in the image of God. We breathe out, I behold myself and others with loving support, faithful care. Let's carry these prayers into the days and weeks ahead of us that we might hold each other with loving support and faithful care as we follow and we are loved by our Good Shepherd.